1: Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 346 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 24th, 2014. Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. Hope you had had an enjoyable weekend, except for, of course, the USC-UCLA game at the Rose Bowl. We're going to talk, of course, all about that. If you have any questions or comments for us, drop us an email, podcast at USCfootball.com. You could, you could also call us at 206-888-6755 or visit our website, peristylepodcast.com, and leave a voicemail on the left side of the page. And I don't even know if I should tell you this because you guys have sent in so many questions this week, you don't need to be told how to send in questions anymore. We know it. Uh, we're going to mix it up a little we- the, little bit this week Excuse me on the podcast. We're going to have Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer coming up first. Then we're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde in the second segment. It's going to be a long show. Uh, buckle up and uh, huddle up and buckle up, as Coach likes to say, because we have so many questions. I don't even know if we're going to be able to scratch the surface trying to get to them, but we're going to try. We're going to try in the first segment with Dan Weber, USCFootball.com beat writer, joining the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing?
2: I'm oh, uh, doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's th- <laughs> well, at least we now don't have to worry about who wins what game on Friday in the Pac-12 South, do we?
1: No, you, uh, you don't have to worry. About, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Um, and there was a lot of talk about that. You know, mathematically it made sense, and you thought that USC could come out and be competitive. Obviously, that did not happen. And just so everyone knows, um, just Saturday night, I went through. You know, when I got home from the game, you know, midnight or so, already had a full mailbox of questions. We had a whole bunch of voicemails that came in, questions, you know, complaints. Uh, there were a lot of them the same theme, but we got so many, I. I Categorized them all. It took me forever. I did it all. And then Sunday, inbox you know, doubled up full again. We just have so many questions. There's, I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to get to them all. So Dan's going to actually write a column. I'm going to send him a lot of the questions. And he's going to write a column on uscfootball.com to try to address all those, anything we don't get to. Uh, we're going to try to go through the voicemail questions first, talk about some different topics, and kind of go from there. We're going to, we want to get you as much com analysis uh, from this USC-UCLA game, of course. And this is, uh, this is the best way we're going to do it this week is just so much going on. If that's okay with you, Dan, let, let, let's go that way.
2: Absolutely, yes. Let's right.
1: go. Cool. All right. Well, let me jump in first. This is a very common question. Uh, I'll play this voicemail one for you. Here you go. Hey,
3: Ryan, uh, Coach, and Dan, whoever, which one of you guys can answer this question. Uh, this is Gabe Oliver here in Arizona. Um, can you guys expound on me? Do you guys honestly feel that Sark and Wilcox are the answer uh, to what we need here at USC, uh, just given based on performances and the losses uh, and even in some of the wins. So you guys can answer that. I would appreciate it. Thanks.
2: Well, I guess uh, I could be flip and say, uh, if Sark and Wilcox are the answer, I guess what's the question? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. And it really does de- depend on what the question is. Uh, so far, this has been rough for, you know, the way they want to do things. This just hasn't worked out well. I mean, Sark is, you know, a uh, play caller who's having trouble coming up with the right play calls. Uh, you know, how many times this year we heard, I wish I'd have called a better play, or you wish they'd have run the play better. Um uh, you know, we've got a team at USC now that uh, all along Sark said this is a run-first team. I'm a run-first coach. This is a run-first offense. And the last three weeks, uh, you know, it's a team that hasn't been able to run the ball the last three games. Uh, and sure, um, you know, they, they lose Chad Wheeler, but, uh, you know, this is a young team with talent. It doesn't seem to be getting better. I mean, UCLA had all kinds of issues, you know, with young guys and switching them around. They got better. They figured it out. Um, this team is having trouble. And the defensive line, for example, um, you know, it just it looks like this, you know, should be more productive than it is. Doesn't seem to. is. It doesn't seem to be happening. Um, they don't seem to be able to get pressure. Obviously, you could tell. You think pressure doesn't matter? Uh, you know they got some pressure on that uh, pick six, but the rest of the game we just didn't see, we didn't see it except from UCLA, and uh, they totally took Cody out of his game. They took the passing game away from USC. They got the places before USC got to them, um, and it was like uh, you know Cody said, "I couldn't get to my first read," and in a progressive passing game like USC's got you have to be able to get to your first read. Uh, same with the run game. Uh, as Sark said, you know, they, I mean, and this, this is kind of scary. They went all week emphasizing to the players no negative yardage plays. And I'm thinking, good Lord, where is USC football going if the uh, emphasis is no negative yardage plays? you know, maybe get to the second level. Well, they didn't get to the second level. UCLA's linebackers didn't let them. Uh, They absolutely didn't get to the third level. And that's, you know, kind of lowering the bar a little bit. So, uh, you know, on both sides of the ball, are they the answer? They haven't been yet. Uh, Will they be? You know, you can only go by, uh, you know, by what you see uh, and by what, you know, they did, at Washington, and is that probably good enough for um, you know u s c uh probably not uh not right now i mean from everything we know, everything we're seeing, they have to really amp amp it up and be able to look at themselves, make course corrections, figure out all the things that have to happen and uh and we we aren't seeing that yet.
1: Um, and I, I just want to, you know, we're, this is starting off the show, and I know it's kind of a negative, uh, you know, first question about, you know, should you fire the coach or you know fire the defensive coordinator? I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put an exact percentage on it, but I mean, a, a huge proportion of the questions we're getting in have something to do with Steve Sarkeesian being fired, Justin Wilcox being fired, uh, Pat Hayden being fired. That's going to be our next uh, voicemail question. So there's a lot of negativity from fans so we wanted to try to address that too and we have we have the other side too and there's definitely not as many um and we're seeing it on the uscfootball.com message boards and stuff as well and i and Dan, to be fair i mean it's a first year head coach and we we understand that but i think we've talked about this even you know as soon as steve sarkeesian was hired the pressure he would be on right away to win right away because the team with three head coaches and all the dysfunction last year still ended up winning 10 games. Now with the loss to UCLA, USC does not have a chance to win 10 games anymore. So you wanted to see them kind of at least do what they did last year with, you know, arguably similar talent and not the same kind of distractions that you saw last year with firing a head coach, Ed Orgeron leaving, uh, uh, Clay Helton coming in, and all those things we kind of pointed out like, well, Steve Sarkeesian's calling the plays too. Oh, you're not bringing back Orgeron. You're not bringing back Pendergast and – and some of the guy I mean, there was a lot of questions kind of going in there, and now, eleven games in, you're, the team isn't performing as well. So that's why we asked those questions back then. So I, I don't want to like be piling on, but I just wanted to let people know, these are the kind of things we're talking about. I think it's not fair that a first-year head coach should be under this kind of pressure, but the unique situation that was created during the off-season, I think, kind of created this kind of pressure. You know, fair or not?
2: Well, I think the other thing is. People shouldn't jump to conclusions. I mean, you know, you may be thinking in in your mind somewhere, you guys, about you got to fire and you got to do this. No, you can't talk. You can't fire, you know, a guy, a first-year coach. I mean, that's not even a remote possibility. So when you ask a question, if you get an answer that says they're not showing the ability to grow and to improve and to get better and to figure things out, uh, they shouldn't be, after 11 games, trying to figure out what do we have to do to put our players in, you know, position to run the ball. Uh, that's, uh, that's not progress. That's not uh, uh, an arc that's heading in the right direction. Now, if other people would say, oh, you're going to, you know, you want to fire the coach. No, of course you don't. They can't. I mean, you can't even think about that. It's not even a, but you can talk about how are things going, what's it look like, you know, are they figuring it out? Do they have the players' confidence? They have the fans' confidence? They have anybody's confidence? No, I mean that's a problem. That's a real problem. Does that mean, oh you, you you're calling for no, you're not calling for anything, but you're just saying it, it isn't happening. Did it happen at UCLA first year with Jim Moore? It did. Did he turn him around? He did. Did they get better? They did. Did they have a great deal of talent? Not really. But they got a lot better. He didn't take a, you know, a year or two years or however many years. He turned them around. I mean, he, you know, he may not be the, you know, guy you want to hang out with, but uh, you know, he, you got to make things happen. I think, and this, you know, this USC team, uh, that was a team on the rise, that ten, and, you know, winning the ten games last year in the bowl game and. The number of players they have back and, uh, you know, the chance. I mean, Sark got, you know, the entire, and you know, came in in December. He had, you know, from January on, he had all winter. Uh, I thought they had the best summer workouts we've ever seen. And uh, You know, you had some real determined kids. Uh, you know, Buck Allen, Leonard Williams, Cody Kessler, these guys really, really, Hayes Pillard, really want to be good. And really Thought they had a chance to be something special this year, and that that's not happening is is kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, you know a shame, and that they don't look any better you know this week, uh you know than you know that they did the second half of last week or, uh you know, just in general you don't see an arc of this team is getting better this team is going somewhere this team is putting it together I and mean, we saw that last year with you know three coaches during the season you did see the team getting better and rallying around and uh and doing some things that we're not seeing this year and that's just a comment uh of you know what we're seeing and that's the way it's happening it doesn't mean you know you're calling for this or that or the other thing uh, i mean you got to be you know schools can't do that you can't in a program uh you know just start whacking away and and, uh, you know, saying, you know, off with their heads and necks, you know. But you also have to make some course corrections. We haven't seen that either. And, uh, and that's pretty important, you know, when you're running this kind of a, you know, a program. And there are some special challenges at USC because of the numbers and because of – and I don't think they've used them and they haven't uh, agreed to the fact that, you know, that those are the things that have taken them down. And I don't think they have – but it does cause you uh, to try to figure out what you're doing in practice and how do you do it? I thought they practiced really well in uh, in the summer, obviously in August, and then they kind of got into a game week preparation that that you know they're not physical enough, and okay, you gotta you know be you know be careful of you know numbers and players and all that, but then. You know, it looked a little bit like Saturday night. It looked a bit, a little bit like a lane team that's not up to game speed when the game starts, and maybe never gets there, because if you don't practice that way, you don't go ones against ones, uh, and they don't think they can, then uh, you're not going to be ready to do it. You know, you know, when the game comes, and uh, you know, I, I th- thought we saw a game where. I don't think UCLA has any quicker athletes than USC's athletes. I doubt if they're quite as quick. Uh, but they looked like it. They looked a lot quicker. They looked much more ready to play. Uh, they beat them to the spot most of the game. Uh, and I think, you know, that's uh, that's a factor of how USC's practice over, you know, these 11, uh, 12 weeks, whatever many weeks it is for the 11 games and. uh and that's a, that's
1: a concern, I would think. All right, uh, let's go to another question. It's uh, not going to be positive. We're going to try to turn around and get some positivity going a little bit later. But it just here's another one for you, Dan. Hi, Ryan. This is Greg from Long Beach. I'm a big fan of the show. You always talk about how USC's got the best players. I want to make the point that I don't think they have the best coaches. There's not one coach on USC that's better than any coach on UCLA. I think we should fire Pat Hayden immediately. Because he hired he hired Kiffin or I mean sorry Kiffin for the job
3: with a bad choice. thank you. I'd like to hear your your answer. Thank you,
1: you
2: well know, uh, uh, you know that's not going to happen. you know Pat's going to make his own own call on uh on on where he goes uh you know in terms of the hiring, you know I think it made obvious sense to me that since USC wasn't, and I made it clear then, made it clear now, uh, USC wasn't going to go after Nick Saban or Urban Meyer. Uh, they weren't going to go after Charlie Strong or you know, Peterson. So uh, my feeling has always been that the guys who turned their program around last year should have been entrusted with another year. I it was an absolute no-brainer. Probably would have saved them three to five million dollars over transition costs. Paying last year's coaches not to coach, uh, probably more than that when you think about you know the guys they're paying not to coach, and the guys they had to you know offer multiple year contracts to and buy out uh, you know Will Cox's contract at Washington and things like that. Uh, and the other thing that is really important, and I think. Nobody thought about this, and they should have. In the number situation USC had, every player that that staff, had they been retained, could have saved uh, a Deion Bailey, a George Uko, a Xavier Grimble would have really, really mattered this year. And the next thing that would have happened is if that staff would have come in this year, and I don't think they would have had the record this year's staff has. I think they'd had a better record. But let's say they didn't. Let's say they had the exact same record this staff has and what had happened at the UCLA game would have happened and the losses would have happened the way they are happening. You would have been able to say, okay, guys, we gave you a year, and now it's time Uh, we're going to go out and hire somebody else. Okay. But now you have a situation, and I think that – if they would have done exactly what this staff has done, that's exactly what would have happened. But now you have a new staff with multiple year contracts and millions and millions of dollars tied up in it. And just the whole issue of, what do you do after a year? Well, you don't do anything. That's the problem. You you would have had a great deal of flexibility had you kept last year's staff through this year. And it's not a shot at this year's staff uh you know they didn't hire themselves somebody hired them but i didn't think that was really smart thinking when you had the choice of retaining last year's group that did an unbelievable i mean the best job i've ever seen of a coaching staff that was basically a lame duck coaching staff told you know you're probably going to be gone at the end of the year and the way they rallied around and and pulled that program together and how it finished up, and they were even able to finish up after Ed left and still finish on on as strong a a note as they did, Uh, that would have been the way to go. And to give them another year, you earned another year, you would have been able to tell them uh, without a doubt, and we're going to see where this goes uh, down the road. And now they lost all that flexibility, because they really would have had the flexibility of deciding, are these the guys? Or do we go get somebody else? But they didn't need to make the change the way they did. They did it. They're stuck with it. And uh, now it's up to, you know, Sark and, and his guys to prove that they made the right choice. And, uh, you know, Sark was talking on his Sunday conference call about he's a competitive guy and he wants to win every game and he wants to win every phone call. And uh, now it's time to show us. Uh, and, you know, that's the challenge.
1: You mentioned uh, numbers and, and sun his Sunday night phone call and one thing that I kinda heard I think the staff has done a pretty good job of not using numbers as an excuse and I think um you know the the fan bases when you when you hear them complain on the message boards, there's some that are saying, look, it's all about the numbers, that's the only reason why they're losing and there's others saying no, uh it's it's more coaching and things like that. It's kind of one of the arguments. But did you hear what he was talking about? It, it sounded to me like He was saying, you know, he mentioned conditioning, which he had talked about being they they were going to be the best conditioned team in the country, and then also mentioned the numbers and not being able to practice physically. And to me it sounded like a little bit like, hey, we want to practice physically, but we just can't because of the numbers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what he said. And uh, so he's sort of saying it's not about the numbers, it's not about the, you know, conditioning, it's not about the physicality and yet it is and it's obvious you can't play physical if you don't practice physical you know you got to you know you, you are who you practice you know who you practice like and uh, and that hasn't been hasn't been happening i mean we barely saw any ones against ones last week and there's a level of you know uh challenge of athleticism when you go ones against ones so the the how quick you have to be to get to that spot, to get that angle. Uh, And if you don't do it, you just, I think, slow down. Now, we've seen this, and this this is one of the challenges. I've probably seen more practices like that where you see over the years, like with Lane, how they slowed down. And didn't I don't even know if they realized it, and you see it in the games, and we're seeing it, you know, with this team this year. You know, this is, uh, you know, a case of, you know, you show up at the Rose Bowl and one team's physical and it's the uh, formerly soft UCLA team, and it's the USC team and it just doesn't look like it's up to speed, and it wasn't, and uh, that's because that's how they're practicing. Uh, is it a risk if you? you know, go out and, and compete and practice. But th- they did that in August. They were going hard. And they got into the season and, you know, were, but the the farther they went into the season, the more you saw them, you know, dial it back just a, just a little bit, just a little bit. And I think they've been really good in monitoring, the you know, the number of plays and the players' health and all that. I mean, I, let's face it. I would have wished they'd have fought the heck out of the NCAA for those kinds of restrictions that really do require you to, you know, make choices about players' health and all that. That's just, I think, you know, unconscionable that the NCAA would ever penalize, you know, a team in in a a collision contact sport like football uh, by taking scholarships away. I mean, I just think it's just, you know, just deal on, beyond the pale that the NCAA did that. USC should have challenged them on it. She chose not to, and now they're in a situation where, you know, it really is hard, and I think it's hard for a first-year coach. But another reason, probably, to keep last year's staff on, because they had been through it. They had seen it. They had seen it under Lane. They had seen it, uh, you know, on how it works, and they probably had more ability uh, you know, to figure out how do you how do you deal with it? How do you keep them playing hard? I mean, look at how, for example, they had 44 scholarship players dressed for the uh, Las Vegas Bowl. They hadn't practiced a whole lot. I think they only used six or so out of their 15 days uh, to get ready, and yet they showed up so physical and so ready to play in that, you know, game against Fresno that uh, that would have been another reason to think, you know, it might be good. That experience these guys had, because, you know, we talked about, you know, they hired Sark because he, you know, kind of got USC. He was a USC guy. You know, that that staff last year, I think, got USC and got, um, you know, what it's like to coach, uh, you know, with the numbers that they had. Uh, so, you know, I wish they'd have, you know, considered all of the issues. When when making that decision, but they didn't, uh, or they you know decided it better to go this way. I'm not sure if they'd make that decision today, but uh, you know you just have to hope that everybody learns from you know all of the things that we know that we know now, and uh, and, and and get it going from here. But uh, I think this time last year they were probably in better shape than than they are this year, unfortunately.
1: Well, speaking of what they need to learn, that's the next question. So let's uh, let's play that one for you, Dan. Hey, Ryan and Dan, so many troubling things about this season.
0: But you guys have been spot on with your recommendations going back to uh, early last year and even the year before that. So my question for each of you is give me three or four things each of you would do to make this thing better next year. Thanks a lot. Love the podcast.
2: Okay, well, that that could get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> really quick. I probably, you know, there are guys, livelihoods, you know, jobs uh, on the line here. Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't want my head coach calling the plays, you know. And if I've got a really competent play caller on the staff who proved it uh, in a lot of ways last year, uh, I'd probably start with that. I mean, that would be – Uh, That's kind of a, you know, I think there's enough to do being the head coach at the University of Southern California without having to worry about, you know, putting the plays together, you know, putting the plays together, thinking about them at halftime. I mean, I would probably like my head coach to be holding hands with the defensive coordinator at halftime and trying to figure some things out rather than trying to figure out, you know, what kind of plays he's going to call in the third quarter, although, Not that that matters, the way USC shut out seven times this year in the third quarter. So uh, uh, that would be one thing. Uh, The second thing, I'd try to figure out a way to encourage the coaches not to coach tentatively, not to coach afraid that something bad's going to happen. I would, you know – I think too many decisions have been made this year based on not necessarily what's the best thing to do but what could happen bad if we don't do this. I mean I think it you know, it it impacts on who plays where and uh you know, maybe you're better off with this guy playing tackle, but what if you he's the veteran, maybe he needs to be at center even though maybe that's not the best place for him to be for him or for the center or whatever. And, but, well, we're afraid we won't get him called right if we don't, you know, have him there, those kinds of things. I mean, the idea that uh, if we don't, um, it, you know, it, say for the secondary, to protect the secondary, we've got a young secondary, how do we protect them? Well, let's all play, let's play, you know, play soft and play safe. And uh, And I would, you know, you wish you would think, well, you know what? If we really go out and pressure the quarterback, maybe that'll protect the secondary. Let's go get him. Let's just line up, put our ears back, and just go go get him. And if he's on his back or he's throwing it quickly, that might protect the secondary rather than playing it safe. Those are the kind of things I'd I'd kind of like to see with this, this sense of, this is the University of Southern California. We've got great athletes. We've got great traditions. Maybe we don't have as many of them. Maybe we should have fought harder to get more of them back quicker. But uh, uh, we're going to play like, you know, we are we expect our guys to make plays. And I think some of the coaching this year was it. you saw that there was a sense that maybe our guys can't make plays, Uh and and I'm not sure, you know. For example, I, I mean, I think you know, with uh, with Leonard Williams and uh, Antoine Woods, and, and let's say it, Claude Pelon was like the number one junior college defensive lineman in the country. Why aren't those guys making plays, more plays than they make? What's what's going on there? Uh, I just think I I'd like to see. I think one of the great things that we saw the Pete Carroll era. Is he freed his defensive players to make plays, and so many of the great things that you remember about the p Carroll era were defensive players making plays? We don't see that as much at all, and it's not because there aren't some great athletes who could be making plays uh but we just don't see them being put into situations where they where they are freed up to make those plays so I'll leave it at that without getting into any specific personnel decisions.
0: Yeah,
1: and he you know, he asked for both of us, so I'll give, I'll just give you a couple of things real quick. I, I agree with Dan. First off, I mean I um, personally I like Sark and I think he's he's been a really good guy to deal with, and we've had a you know a lot of fun with him covering this last year or so. Obviously, some of the games you know haven't gone the way you wanted it to go, but. Philosophy wise, I, I it just doesn't seem like it works all that often to have a head coach call the place. It's a rare thing when it does. He's the eighth youngest head coach in the country. You know, you have a a proven play caller and Clay Helton right next to you. Probably not, you know, a bad idea to to, to you know do that. I, I I do think you gotta do something different on special teams. I've just not been a fan of the way special teams have been run. Um, you know, the coaches you know, I asked different assistant coaches and they don't really have a "Quote unquote job per se," they kind of well. I coach the linebackers when they're in on a special teams play, or I coach this or that. I think you could kind of reorganize that a little bit and and make things a little bit better. And and I do think defensively, uh, you get a, you know, If it's you're talking about next year, not fixing right now, you're talking about next year. You have some more bodies in place, and just be like look, can't be afraid to play fast and play hard and to attack and be aggressive. And do what worked last year on defense. It's, you know, with Clancy Pendergast's system, I liked it a lot better. It certainly wasn't perfect, but you got just that aggressiveness seemed to work really well with these guys. And I think it suited the personality, the kind of athletes that USC has there. And, um, you know, being aggressive and going after the quarterback, yeah, you're going to make some mistakes and things are going to happen, but at least you're trying to force negative plays. It just doesn't seem like you're trying to do that quite as often now. So maybe you feel better with more bodies in there. Let the you know let the dogs loose. Be more aggressive on the play calling there. So again, Dan, no, not talking about any specific personnel or anything like that, or, or employees of the university, but just some different, I guess, philosophical changes that that would probably help.
2: Yeah, you know, one thing I I noticed, and I think it was Kyle Whittingham at Utah took over the head coach took over the special teams, and 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 very often the way staffs are configured now, you kind of run short, and you maybe don't have that guy. And I like the idea of the head coach. If if he's going to take on a specific duty rather than, say, play calling, how about, you know, special teams? And, uh, uh, you know, Utah has done unbelievably well special teams-wise anyway. I mean, they don't have the number of really good athletes that, that you know, USC does, but, but that might not be a bad place for the head coach to, you know, kind of say, okay, I'm going to be hands-on, uh, and this is one place I'll, I'll be hands-on. And I do think – Guys have gotten lost uh on defense for example there's a you know an idea this is how we're gonna do it and uh and if somebody doesn't fit exactly where you know they want them to you know to be like a Quentin Powell or whatever then it doesn't seem to be a that much of a place for them and that's kind of a shame uh i think I think there. what you said, Ryan, is that maybe you figure out. What will this group of players do? Absolutely the best, and how do we, you know, figure our, you know, configure our defense in order to take advantage of the limited, you know, numbers that we've got, and and make sure we're not, you know, missing out on somebody. Uh, I think that would, uh, you know, would be something you'd like to see.
1: Certainly. Um, all right. Then we have another voicemail question here for you, Dan. Let's. Uh, this one's a little more positive tone, so we'll we'll go with that one.
0: What's up, guys? My name is Sean. I'm from Kentucky, and I just have an opinion that I wanted to get your all's take on. Uh, It may not be too popular, but, you know, I think I'm guilty of thinking that the level that Pete Carroll attained at this school during modern football was going to be able to be turned out and replicated over and over, no matter who the coach was, no matter what year it was, no matter if we had sanctions or didn't have sanctions. And I think what's been proven to us in modern football with the falls of Michigan, Texas, and Florida, is the simple fact that that's impossible. I mean, we'll see it when Nick Saban leaves Alabama. Um, I'm not saying we need to be okay with six, seven, you know, eight, nine win seasons, but I think there's a perspective that people have lost, of, which is the fact that no one remains on top. And this overwhelming cloud of doom and gloom and negativity over Sark and over the state of the program, I think is just a little bit exaggerated. Uh, i'm upset everyone's upset, but we will be back and it will be sooner rather than later um uh, thanks I enjoy the podcast and fight on
2: okay i always uh, enjoy talking to some uh, fellow uh kentuckian uh, uh that's that's a that's a great take i think my my take would be this um uh, it really does matter. I mean, it's an interesting dilemma, and to some extent it can't be all about the coach. It's got to be, as we just said, about players making plays. And yet, ultimately, it is all about the coach. I mean, if you want to know, it isn't just cycles that have taken uh, Michigan or Texas or, you know, you know those traditional powerhouses and taken them down. It's bad coaching. And if you get bad coaching uh you know if the people in, you know on top aren't aren't doing their job uh you know there is no guarantee you're not you know you're not protected uh Alabama went through a bunch of them and uh you know in the nineties and, and and much like uh u s c in the nineties you're as good as those guys are you're not going to be better than they are. And uh, I think the thing that I always remember this: I was covering Penn State, Michigan, first time uh, covering a, a game at the uh, at the Big House. And I remember, here comes Michigan, and they come out, and they got the, you know, I mean, obviously, you can make the case that they got the best-looking, you know, the most classic, interesting helmets, or the, the colors. They got the biggest stadium. They got, you know, people kind of argue that, you know, Hail to the Victors is the biggest, you know, the best fight song. At the time, they had the most victories of any team in major college football. And um, out comes their head coach, Gary Muller. And, And you looked across the way, and Joe Paterno was at his height. Now, Penn State didn't have any of those things. They didn't have any of the fancy uniforms, didn't have the colors, didn't have a fight song that anybody remembers. But it was obvious when you saw the two guys, Joe Paterno was far, far and away the, the superior coach over Gary Muller. And, uh, you know, you just thought, what's wrong with this picture? A school like Michigan, you can't have a Gary Mueller as your head coach. You've got to get that right. And... uh You know, I think it's, uh, it really, really matters, uh, you know, what's going on. And I think one of the the things that's frustrating to people is this. If you would have hit Alabama or uh, Texas or Ohio State or anybody, Notre Dame, with the sanctions that USC was hit with, and if you put them in a situation where they had three head coaches during the season last year, you would have devastated those programs. They would have been on their hands and knees. They wouldn't have been winning 10 games. That USC was able to do that tells you something about the potential at USC. USC may have more potential to be that kind of program than any any program in the country. I mean, there was a reason that the whole NCAA, including the Pac-10, uh, was scared to death of what was going on with Pete and USC, because they realize USC might be that one breakaway school that really does have that kind of potential, uh, and it's up to USC to make sure, you know, that they get it right, and they can't have unforced errors. And you know, there are people who look at this year and think, "Wow, this is the year," you know, you, you're you're finishing up the sanctions. You've got more talent than you absolutely had any reason to think. You know, you've got the best, you know, maybe the number one pick in the NFL draft. You've got the best running back in the Pac-12. You've got one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the country. Uh, you've got some of the best true freshmen in the country. You know, this is a a place where a, a program shouldn't be, but USC was. It had that potential. And, uh, you can't have unforced errors in terms of, you know, what do you do next? Uh, who do you who do you build around? How do you get you know from here to there? Uh, and so I think that might be some of the reason that you see the you know people that have kind of a sense of uh, doom and gloom because you've got a couple of more years invested, uh, you know, the way this is going, and if you're not in a place where like, there was a lot of excitement about the program at the end of last year, and I think it paid off in that recruiting class. Uh, where does that, you know, factor in this year? Uh, and, you know, factor in for kids thinking, you know, the next few years, where do I want to be? Where will I be developed the best? Where I mean, a big part of USC's tradition and aura and sense of why it's such a special place is they put so many guys in the NFL. So many high, you know, draft picks and all these, you know, um, NFL Hall of Famers and and all of the kind of things that USC has been able, you uh, know, to do, uh, you know, that really attract kids to come to USC. Now, you don't want to have anything. Now that the opportunity, at least, is to go back to a full recruiting class, you don't want anything over that to make it look like, yeah, is that really the place for me to go? Uh, so. So I think it's you know there's been a kind of a an exaggerated sense of doom and gloom, but you know I think there's uh, there maybe a reason for feeling that way in this season the way this season has gone.
1: Um, okay, so those were our voicemail questions. I'm gonna to try to do a couple. Oh, we've been we've gone pretty long. Uh, I'll do a couple yeah. uh, written questions. That's okay, Dan. We'll send the rest to uh, Dan and he can put a column out of it. But um, Charlie had a touch on a lot of points, so maybe this will be a good one. We'll, maybe we'll just end on this one. He said, I enjoy the show. A couple comments and a question. Um, UCLA knew our snap count. Maybe if we would huddle, uh, they could communicate. Banner could communicate with Kessler to inform him what he sees. Just a thought. So he's talking about the snap count. Also, he thinks Sua Craven should move back to safety. There were two touchdowns due in particular to being not not being able to cover. And then he also wants to know why do we go no huddle uh, if we're still taking the same amount of time it would take to huddle to actually hike the ball. Uh, so those are kind of <laughs> three things. Yeah, that that's a Charlie... that's
2: a really good one because I mean one of the things about no huddle was that you would uh, not allow the defense to keep you know switching personnel and, and bringing you know people in groups and and, and all of that. And, and here while the USC kids are standing there all looking to the sideline. UCLA is running in guys in and out and in and out, and you're thinking, "What the hell? Go to a huddle? I mean, you know, rather than stand there with everybody looking to the sidelines." I thought that was that was not well handled, and UCLA is taking advantage of it because they're substituting like crazy, while USC kids are standing there looking, you know, looking to the sidelines. So I think that's a really good point um, uh, as to um, Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I, I like that last one so much. What are the other points? Oh,
1: so the snap count one.
2: Oh, the snap count. You know, I thought everybody knew USC <laughs> 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 snap
1: count. I mean, I,
2: I, you know, I, I think that might have been overplayed a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you're going to change your snap count, hell, USC is going to, you know, that'll hurt USC more than anything. I would think the way they do things. So, uh, I mean you watch the NFL games i don't think I every mean, i think everybody kind of knows you know what the snap count snap count is I, I think that might be over overstated a bit i mean just get it done right i mean i think it looked like UCLA was beating them to the punch so you think okay you know it's about the snap count i think it, it's more i mean cal was beating them to the punch to be honest uh, uh in the last game so uh, I think it's more than it's more than the snap count, but it you know you don't want to get beat to the punch, and and you want to be able to you know handle. I mean, one of the things Sark admitted on Sunday night is that they're getting beat at the point of attack. They're getting beat in those one-on-ones. They're not winning those things, and uh, you gotta you gotta win those. And uh, I think it's it's more about it's uh, it's about more than the snap count.
1: And then the. Uh... Oh, the other one's about Sue Cravens moving back to safety.
2: You know, I, I mean, Sue is a playmaker. He's not exactly a cover safety. You know, I mean, he's he wants to come up and make plays on the ball. Uh, so whether you know, I you know, if it were me, I mean, Josh Shaw might be the, and he also wants to come up and make plays on the ball. But maybe Josh is. Uh, is something of an answer although they basically think they need you know three man you know rotation at corner to play Notre dame and that you know josh has to stay there but uh yeah it's tough with with young uh young safeties i think uh and especially when they you know leave their you know leave their feet and uh, and they've had some guys that haven't had as much practice time or guys that had more yellow jersey time than than you, you probably wished in the last few weeks. I think I think there's where you get hurt when you you aren't able to practice absolutely full speed and really challenge them. I think that was the 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 absolute benefit of Pete's system was the one you know, the ones against the ones, full speed every day. And that really helps guys like safeties who have to make plays in space. And, uh, and the UCLA, UCLA did a great job in formationing and scheming to force the USC safeties to have to make plays in space, whether it was tackling or plays on the ball, and neither of which they got done very well. And uh, my, my feeling on the inability to make plays in space is that's a direct result of not being able to practice at game speed and game tempo, and uh, I think that that's a, a reflection of that as much as anything. But uh, I mean, just making you know, uh, sue a, uh, a safety uh, exclusively and all that. I'm not sure that's you know that's the answer. Uh, I mean, I kind of like him in the middle of things. Uh, obviously, UCLA again did a great job of. Not letting him be as much of a factor as USC would hope him to be, and maybe some of that was USC not letting him be as much of a factor as he needs to be. But, uh, uh, but I'm not sure that just you know having him be the you know more of a safety is is the exact you know answer there.
1: Um, and then one uh, just last comment Jeff wrote in before. Uh, We had that question about the band going around. He said the band, you remember like the band, like the little groups of the band go play around the Coliseum. He said the band used to go around the stadium. If SC was ahead in the third quarter, the person who did that uh, with the band is no longer there. And no one else started doing it again. So that's what that's from Jeff. So he's saying that that's why that's not happening right now. So oh,
2: okay. The any system, band members out uh, there? People not, like that. They weren't banned by UCLA from doing that. Really.
1: <laughs> no, apparently Did not. Think so UCLA
2: good. didn't beat them on this, you know. <laughs> um, our poor band got uh, got kind of pushed around last night, unfortunately, uh, in terms of when they were allowed to come onto the come into the stadium and the whole ridiculous, uh, idiot. It was out on the, you know, on the demanding that, you know, the walk on from UCLA to make sure that they, I, that would have been one of those things where you would have said, gee, I wonder which foot do you want me to place this sword into? <laughs> you, you know. That would, I mean, who would have said, you know, <laughs> Although it would have been nice to see Art Bartner take the sword and ask the guy where he wanted him to put it.
1: Art Bartner was uh, yelling. He was—he he He's the one that had security come and take him off because they, they had already made an agreement that they were not going to stab the field. Uh, right. But,
2: he should have been immediately pulled off, and then the yeah. security guys walked away. Then they had to come back because it looked like Bart, Art, Art was <laughs> absolutely – You know, we're trying to go on the field and there's some idiot in a blue jersey standing in the middle of the field. I mean, you know, just get out of there. But uh, UCLA, I thought, handled it like a bunch of jerks in in a lot of ways uh, yesterday. But, you know, hey, I think that's what you want. You want the other team saying you're acting like a bunch of jerks because, uh, you know, that means you probably got under their skin and you're probably got the upper hand. And, uh and I guess you would like for the days when the UCLA people were doing the complaining about those jerks from USC.
1: Yeah. Well, that didn't happen on uh Saturday, Dan. And you can see clear, clear, uh, clear results on the field. There was no question who the better team on Saturday night was in the Rose Bowl. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. We had a really long in the segment, but we had so many questions that i Again, check out uscfootball.com this week. Dan will do a column with a lot of the questions we didn't get to. We've still got a lot of questions to get to with Coach Harvey Hyde as well. Um, we'll do that right in a minute. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on.
2: i enjoyed it. And uh, keep those questions coming.
1: Yeah, cool. <laughs> we may
2: not be able to answer all of them right at this time, but uh, uh,
1: we'll hold our fire. But, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep we'll doing our best.
2: Appreciate
1: it. Yes. Well, thank you, Dan. And uh, everyone else back in a minute with Coach Harvey Hyde.
2: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets.
0: SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at
1: 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater.
0: Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with them, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handle my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now.
2: We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: We're back on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde in the second segment this week. I'm going to talk all about the USC Trojans' loss to the UCLA Bruins in the Rose Bowl, Coach Harvey Hyde was there. Coach, how you doing, sir? What's up? I'm doing great, buddy. It's uh, a beautiful Monday in the week of uh,
3: Thanksgiving. And before we get started, in case I forget, I want to wish everybody out there a happy Thanksgiving, a safe one. Uh, if you can be with your family members, please do so. And if you can't, uh, make that special call to them or make that special call to someone who maybe not doesn't have a family member and you want to just uh, call them and tell them that, hey, I'm thinking about you. We love you, and we wish we could be with you. I think that means a lot to people. I'm going to do a lot of that starting earlier
1: in the week so I don't miss anybody, right? So I'll start with you. Happy Thanksgiving, Ryan. Thank you so much, Coach. Happy Thanksgiving to you. That's a great sentiment. Now, hopefully, everyone, all of our listeners will go out and do that. Um, wanted to let you know you can follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. It's a really interesting week to follow the coach on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Of course, I'm at Inside Troy. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, too, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything in Southern California or the country, go to SCTickets.com, and they will hook you up. And, Coach, like I talked about with Dan in the last segment, we had so many questions, and I'm still still getting them in. Uh, It's a ridiculous amount of questions. It's it's by far the most we've ever received, so we're not going to be able to get to all of them. I wanted to get to the voicemail ones, and – you know, and, and try to touch on as many of the written questions as we can. So we might as well just jump in, Coach, if that's cool with you.
3: Ryan, that's fine with me. And just to let everybody know, I got more tweets yesterday. <laughs> I spent about an hour and a half retweeting everyone. I always say if you ask me a question, of course, I can't make it very l- lengthy. But I'll certainly get back to everybody, and that's at Coach Harvey Hyde. Because we just can't do it all, but I'll try to make sure I get back to everybody.
1: Yeah, because I know on the Trojan brunch, you guys had so many calls, and just it, oh. there wasn't enough time. I mean, there's just not enough time. There's just so much going on. Um, well, let me jump in, and we'll go with uh, one of these voicemail questions. Here you go.
0: Well, it was a tale of two coaches. One had aggressive mindset, and uh, his team reflected – uh, the same way, while the other coach seemed like he was scared to lose and polite and nice. Uh, the teams really looked poor. It was sad to see. We have a five star safety playing wide receiver when we have tons of wide receivers. Uh, I can't believe this. Another year.
3: Uh, when's our
0: next coach coming in?
3: Well,. <laughs> Now, I don't want it to be that bad uh, because uh, it is bad. You've heard me talk about that the entire year. I, 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 you know, I've always made this statement. I think I'll start off by making it again. Always have your players on the field. If your players aren't on the field, then you're hurting yourself. For example, let's take UCLA. It's a good example. Miles Jack, not a bad running back, is he? But where does he play? Defensive linebacker. Is he much bigger than uh, Juju Smith? Not really about the same size, aggressive, same temperament, great athlete. Uh, could Juju Smith be a running back? A- absolutely, he has been, Ryan, and you've seen him be a running back. Uh, and uh, for some reason, uh, they wanted to play him at receiver. Now, he's a great receiver, but you got to get your players on the field. When Darius Rogers and Mitchell and these other great players aren't playing, then are you really totally utilizing your players, especially when you have number problems? So how do you benefit yourself when you have great players sitting on the bench and you're complaining about numbers? It doesn't make sense to me. So you're slow at the uh, defensive ends. Uh, you don't, uh, you're not aggressive enough as far as on the defensive front where these great type of speed athlete guys can come after you and put a good rush. Plus they can cover. Juju's can cover as a linebacker. Uh, At one time, I was thinking play him at safety. He could play that safety position, too. He could play a lot of different positions. And, Adore Jackson, why do you keep messing with him on offense? Unless you promised him you'd do that, why? You have other guys that can do that stuff. Let him become a great corner, which he is. They haven't thrown a touchdown pass on him the entire game. He played complete man the entire game and never once was beaten. So, you know, uh, I can't figure that type of stuff out. Uh, I've been talking about it. Uh, Moore's team plays with the personality of Jim Moore. If you look at Jim Moore, he's got his brim of his hat pulled down. He's never questioned. He's following the game completely. He's not calling offenses. He's not calling defenses. He's being captain of the ship. He, he of course, uh, can control the game the way he does with his headset and communication with the coaches. And uh, he's in control. There isn't any towels on his sideline. There isn't any fake fire. It's a job. And it's pride. And he's doing it with the same athletes. Believe me, the same athletes that USC recruited. And, Ryan, you can say this. You run a uh, recruiting service. Those same players that are playing for UCLA, USC recruited. And USC rejected a lot of those players. Massington, they rejected because he injured his knee, his Senior year, yet he comes and catches catches a touchdown pass. So they have great athletes. And, And you've heard me say this all along. The numbers have made a difference, but not in the game. They've made the difference of players that may have been at USC that now are playing against USC. So there's so many great athletes out there. That's exactly what's happening. And it's what you do with them and how you get them to perform. And I think that's what the question was.
1: Certainly, Coach. Um, All right, let's move on. We'll go to the next one. Here you go. Hi, this
0: is Richard from uh, Toluca Lake. I was wondering if you could explain why on fourth down
2: early in the game, instead of uh, going for the sure field goal or maybe a Cinch field goal that Sarkeesian went for, it took points off the board. Number two, uh, where were our
0: tight ends in the game? Don't understand that at all. And number three, uh, how come they never had
2: Kessler maybe rolling out throwing on the run. He seems to be able to do that real well. Just a very, very confusing game plan. Appreciate the answers on anyone or all of the three. Enjoy the program
1: very much. Fight on. Take care.
3: Bye. Thank you very much. Help me remember all three of those questions, okay, would you, run?
1: Yeah, sure. The, so the last one was uh, Cody are rolling out more. We've got a okay, bunch let's of those, Okay, let's start actually.
3: with that one. Yeah. Let's start with that one. Okay, first of all, it's a very good point, and you make a very good point, because I've always said, if you do this, I do that. And if you notice, most of their a twist and, and stunts, and the way they came after Cody Kessler was in the middle of the line with the defensive line and the offensive line really had a problem picking it up. Uh, I can't understand why, but they never could adjust to that. So if that's happening, you roll away from it, and eventually they'll stop that because they know they're, you're rolling away from where their stunts are coming or their twists are coming, and if you do this, I do that. If you, I do that, they'll do this. So what you get them to do is slow down in those type of stunts so that when you do throw from the cup, you won't be seeing those twists as often because you've been rolling out or sprinting out or tearing out or whatever you want to call it away from where all the blitzes are coming. Uh the very good question, very good question. And, and why they didn't do that, I don't know. Uh, that's a question that uh, could be asked at a press conference. And, you know, when you ask a coach that, the coach has got to, me, I'd answer, I'd answer you honestly, I'd say, because I'm stupid, okay? <laughs> I mean, it, it just makes sense. You can see this, I can see this, I don't know what they're thinking about. Okay, now, the next one, why did you pass up the field goal? Yes. Because, uh, I don't know. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Do you ever pass up points in a football game, early in the game, when it's going to be this type of contest where you have no idea where you're going and you're going to need these points? You're going to need these points. You had to go for two points later in the game. If you'd had those three points, it could have made a whole lot of difference in what the final score is going to be. So you never pass up on points. And what got me to on the two-point conversion, since you bring this up and I'll throw points out at you, uh, you have a timeout or you have a review or whatever they're doing uh, where you have time to call the play and what you're going to do, and you go onto the field and you've you got to call another timeout. Uh, and you have the leading rusher. You did have the leading rusher in the in the conference, and you throw the ball. Uh, I don't know. Uh, sometimes uh, it's easier to sit here on Monday and, and say, why this, why that, and why everything else, but I have to admit to you, I say that during the game. Why? The Vanuku uh, play on fourth and two. Uh, he's up about two yards behind the center, so it reminds me of the Stanford game last year in the Rose Bowl, when Stanford reverse pivot or, or handed the ball directly off to their fullback, Hewitt, and he made not enough for the first down. Well, it's the same thing. You reverse pivot, you give the ball to Vanuku, everybody's submarining for the short yardage there. Vanuku, who hadn't carried the ball five times the entire year, runs right into the middle of the line and has no game. I don't, I don't know. These are just things that go through my mind. But I can't say I'm second-guessing. I'm not second-guessing, but I said that at the time.
1: Yeah. Coach, do so, you know, just on the a point, before I don't want to interrupt you, but the he only played one play in the game. One play. That was the play. He comes in for one play, runs the ball into the line, gets stuffed. Third and two, they have to punt.
3: See, so those are the things that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, coach is second-guessing. I'm not second-guessing. But these are things that I said during the game, as you do as viewers, and you're watching the same game I am, so I'm not making up a different game. So these are things that get people, I think, roused up like they are today. They're all roused. And they were yesterday. We couldn't get all the callers on the turkey (laughs) turkey brunch, on the Trojan brunch. So, and what was their third phase of that question? Tight ends. Bob, me. tight ends, tight ends. Well, tight ends have disappeared uh, a long time ago when they said they only had one tight end on scholarship. But yet one appeared and I'm not as sure where he came from. But all of a sudden, Bryce Dixon was there catching a pass all of a sudden before it was on the desk of somebody. And then someone didn't know what was going on. But secretly that got he got his bus pass. And was able to play, <laughs> but as far as the tight ends are concerned, they've utilized their tight ends the entire year. Everyone knows that. Down the middle, they ran a two deep safety uh, when they double teamed out uh, the receivers, and you could have utilized him all day. That's why the backs. That's why uh, Buck Allen caught so many passes. We, you saw him coming across the middle, catching the cross passes, and so on. He caught four passes in the game because they were leaving the middle of the field open. So, But that's where normally you use your tight end on curls and comebacks and sit-downs right in the open area, find the open area and sit down and throw the ball. But a lot of it has to be, too, uh, he didn't have a lot of time, Kobe Cody, to, call, to throw the football. He really didn't, and he, and he didn't have a chance to check around. But still, you've got to be able to stop that type of pass rush. Now, how do you stop that type of pass rush? Okay, you don't throw to your tight end anyway. So you're being Gertner in the game, the big uh, tackle that doesn't play. You put an 86 number on him. Or you make him a tackle. I, I would only put an 86 number on him or whatever number. suppose he's eligible, and they'd have to watch him. And if you wanted to throw a pass to him, you could. And you block him up as a tackle. And you block, uh, you block what you call a, a step down. Everybody steps and takes a gap. So nobody can come to a gap. You, you don't have to worry about any twists that are going on. because you're just going to stay there like an extra point. And somebody's going to come to you, and you're going to pass block you. And anything that goes outside to tie end in where Gertner's playing is a long ways to go uh, if they're blitzing someone, if there's, uh, that, that Gertner has to, that, to, to, get, to get to the quarterback. Then on the other side, you take your back, and he blocks up. On the, the outside receiver or the blitz guy from that side, or you go double tight, go double tight which makes the outside receivers come farther out than what they normally can. You block up with your running back, or you put your running back in the seam. You take three-step drops and throw quick passes and fades and quick passes and and sneak-out rods to your back and circles and and different things if they're not coming because you're getting beat so bad. So there's different ways to defeat those type of things, by just – Stepping down inside, everybody takes a gap, and you know if you don't get confused. This guy goes there, and the other lineman comes. Just stay there. Somebody will come to you, but someone's responsible for that gap. But they, they didn't do that either. So that's the way it goes.
1: Uh, all right, Coach. Well, let's move on to the next question. Here you go. We'll play it for you. Hi, Ryan.
0: This is Al from Fresno. Um, angry about the UCLA game. I think we're at the Lane
2: Kiffin stage where the team just doesn't want to play for Sark anymore. Uh, They don't have the fire that uh, they had last year to win these games. Um, My question to the coach is, being that it seems like we're only taking seven plays into this game, into all of our games, uh, we're predictable. Um, Offense is based upon two guys. Defense, you got the same guys making plays. What is it going to take to turn this thing around? Um, uh, Are we going to have to go back to the old style of play? Or we're going to keep
0: pushing forward with this uh, spread offense, which isn't spreading the offense at
2: all and isn't working uh, for the style at, at USC.
1: Bye.
3: Well, you got a lot of questions there. Uh, let me let me start by saying all the players that are recruited to USC currently right now, most of them have all been recruited because of the style of offense that USC has always run. This is a change for USC. This is something that has come along that i think equals out the abilities of usc's athletes because they're like everybody else now in the past used to line up and pound people and get them to surrender and uh it worked Uh, you got cody kessler who would be unbelievable in that type of offense especially with the type of running backs and fullbacks that you have as far as with the toss and the power and the blast and the counters and counter sweeps and the different things that you can do with your tight ends and corner routes, flat routes, drag routes, post routes. Those are things you still control, but you really, you know, it's a different situation because the offense you're running now, and, and, and I'm saying it's not a bad offense. For some teams, it's a great offense, but you have a very athletic quarterback when you run that. Look around the country and see what. Teams are very, very successful in what type of athletic quarterbacks they have, guys that can run the keep off of it, the option off of it. Cody's a great point guard. That means he beats a great quarterback as far as leading that old type of offense that he was recruited as. And uh, there is no threat of any keep at any time by the quarterback, either towards the player or away from the play at any time like you saw Hunley do that time and fooled uh, Silver Craven uh, for a touchdown. I mean, he just rode the ball in there, pulled the ball out, and ran straight to the goal. line. you don't see that because they don't play that because you don't have to play that because Cody doesn't do that. So they can pinch down to the inside and take the run away because USC has a tough time of getting to the outside on their run. The only outside runs they have, they don't run option. The only outside run they have is that little pitch there, Dory coming across the front of the offense. Uh, and uh, what, other, and the, uh, what other one have they run? They, run the, uh, they ran the toss a couple of times, that little yeah. flip play, and nothing else. So they won't really stretch the field on the running game at all. And uh, so, yes, I think they'd be better. I think they'd be better huddling up. Now, I've said that from day one, okay? So I'm not saying that like today. I said that from day one because now they're not a hurry-up offense. They are a no-huddle offense. And when you have young players, I think you need to huddle up, look at them in the eyes. I think they'd have won a couple more football games. If I'd have told those young guys, hey, any questions on this play? We need two yards, and we win this football game against ASU. We got two plays. We're going to run the ball. We're getting a big-boy offense, and you guys are going to grow up, and all of a sudden you're going to be big boys. So let's get it done. On uh, passing play, he looks over at Juju. He looks over, and he said, now, Juju, if they're in this coverage, remember, go to the post route. Go to the post route. And it's a little bit of confidence that you're giving these young kids. When you have a leader like Cody, Cody's the whole thing on offense. It all starts with him. So why not have him talk to these young guys in the huddle instead of all staring at the satellite? Now, I've been saying this since day one, so it's not like I'm second-guessing now. Ryan, you know that. But these are things I agree. And the thing that puzzles me a little bit a lot is the quarterbacks they're recruiting, and you know, Ryan, who they are. I'm not going to mention their names. They can't run either. So the only one who can run pretty decently is the one at San Clemente, and he's having a pretty decent year. Denard, I think his name is, is that correct?
1: Uh, Sam Darnold.
3: Yeah, Donald. Okay, he runs pretty good, but the other ones don't run. So you're going to run the same style of offense without the threat of a great athlete at quarterback. To run this offense, you got to have a great athlete at quarterback. That answers your question.
1: Well, speaking of quarterbacks, coach, we had two guys kind of writing about. <coughs> excuse me, Cody Kessler, uh, Jason from PA. Cody plays great against subpar teams, but seems to disappear when it's a big game. Anyway, the quarterback competition opens up again next year, and Max Brown, do you think Max Brown gets a legit shot? And basically, same thing from Tarek. He says, I've said this before Kessler never shows up for big games, and his interception killed any momentum USC had in the UCLA game. Do you expect open competition in the spring? You can't be the USC quarterback and not show up for big games. Kind of harsh criticism there, but we got a lot of people kind of writing in about that.
3: Well, you know. Um... That is that is a, a tough question, and I don't blame Cody Kessler. He is doing what he's been taught to do in the style of offense that they are currently running. Uh, Cody, just think, what would you be without Cody Kessler? That's the way I look at it first. What, what type of team would you have without Cody right now? He's throwing 30 touchdown passes. Uh, he's been uh, leading the team. He's got one of the highest profession as far as percentage and completion rates. He hasn't been playing with the best offensive line the entire year. There's been a lot of different philosophy during the year. Uh, first of all, they didn't they ran the bubble screens, and they didn't throw the ball down the field, and they did throw the ball down the field, and then, then uh, they weren't rushing the football, and then, then they are rushing the football, and now they aren't rushing the football. So, you know, it's hard to just say, blame it on one person, or say if it, we had a different quarterback, it'd be a different situation. I always say, put your quarterback and all your plays in the best position where you can win. Uh, so I would say, what would it be like without Cody Kessler? I'm telling you. Half the touchdowns or a lot of the plays he makes, man, he makes under duress. He's only thrown three interceptions the entire year, and he scrambled around in some of the biggest plays. He stepped up in the pocket or he's been flushed out of the pocket and thrown the ball down the field. Now, one critical thing I have to say, he throws too much... To Nelson Aguilar. Now, now, I don't know if that's under design, or if they've told him to do that. But when you have great receivers, you got to throw the ball around the field. Now, maybe you're not running the correct pass routes for anybody to be open, but you can't. You got too many great players. Like someone earlier mentioned, the tight ends and, and Juju Smith, George Farmer. I missed, missed him. I should have mentioned him earlier. Hey, these are great. Fl- these are great players. Get your players on the field and utilize them. And if you're If you can't run the football, throw the football. And eventually the running game will open up, but they've got to take notice to who they're defending as far as those great receivers, and that'll help and assist the offensive line if you put them in a position where they can pass rush or pass block. They've never been a great screening team, USC. They never run draws, USC. So, you know, when you throw the ball a lot and you don't use these other parts of the series of the passing game or the running game with series. It's very difficult. I don't know of one complete series that they run, complete series. They run one play off of every series or maybe two plays off of every series. And for you out there that uh, disagree with me, that's fine. But for you that know football out there, know what I'm talking about.
1: Uh, JD and DC coach wrote in and had some really interesting stuff. And I, posted, I tweeted a few of these stats out and uh, posted some stuff on uscfootball.com message boards. But he said he wanted you to comment, uh, there's a lot of excuses about lack of depth. And so he wrote in and, and kind of went through the number of plays that some of the players uh, uh, participated in. And he said twice as many UCLA defenders, six, played 70-plus snaps than USC defenders, three. Um, that would seem to undermine the rhetoric that SC defenders are forced to play an abnormal number of snaps. Pillard, Cravens, and Jackson played all 76 snaps. Also, both USC and UCLA had 11 defenders who played 30-plus snaps. The difference was UCLA had eight defenders who played 15 snaps or less, while USC didn't have any on defense. And he, he noted some, some snap counts of some guys that didn't play a lot. We mentioned Soma Venuku. He pointed that out. He only played one play, and it was a critical play. Uh, Andre Walker didn't play. Um, Chris Hawkins didn't come in and play. And, and Quentin Powell is another one who's a good tackler, he didn't get to come in and play at all. And he said, oddly, high snap counts. Leon McQuay, who obviously struggled a little bit in this game, uh, had 69 snaps. So he had had quite a bit of snaps out there. But maybe kind of your comments on, it seems like UCLA had a whole bunch of, you know, same amount of guys that played a lot of plays as well.
3: Yeah, you know, you've heard me talk about numbers the entire year. If you've gone through and you count the plays, the number of plays for the entire season that, the number of players that SC have played and the number of players that UCLA, or not UCLA, but all their opponents have, have played. It's about the same, Ryan. It's always about the same. You can only get so many players in the game. It's, an, it's uh, uh, the number of plays and the ball control that the offense has to have. And you've got to look at it when you have numbers uh, where you're lacking numbers is where you try to you know, help that side of the football. I haven't seen... Uh, The offensive side of the football helped the defensive side of the football. And I'm not saying the defense has played great the whole year. They have played pretty good in some games as far as the numbers and statistics and rushing that they gave up. I'm not going to take that away from them. But you've got to help the defense several ways. First of all, the best defense is an, an aggressive offense that holds the football and keeps the other team's offense off the field. You, you dominate on offense, where the defense has time to rest. Now, over the last couple of games, uh, the defense at USC hadn't had an opportunity to rest much at all. So they're on the field all the time. They're playing their butts off all the time. So they get tired. The next thing I have to say is there's players on the offensive side of the ball that could be playing on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe as starters, probably as starter's. And that would get more of your numbers where you're having number problems of your players on the field. You always want to have your best players on the field. Now I think Nelson Aguilar is a great athlete, but you can't beat him up either. You can't throw the ball to him seventeen times or sixteen completions, which means they throw this to him probably twenty five times. You gotta spread the ball around because these guys tire. They tire like anybody else, and you can only take so many hits so many hits and you've got to be able to explain great players who make great plays to be smart at the same time. Like a he's a champion. Uh, he's going to be a great player. Don't get me wrong, but he's got to understand he had all the confidence in the world. When he took that kickoff on the, in a hundred and, or in the end zone by five or six yards, he's going to run back for a touchdown. That's great. But percentages say you're not. You don't run it out where you get the ball in the 10 or 12, whatever yard line. They got the ball and get poor field position. So sometimes you're hurting yourself more than your opponents are hurting you. So you've got to be able to make smart plays. And you've got to be able, especially at both sides of the football, plays that help yourself. Like on the defensive side of the ball. When you rush continuously three guys, four guys, that just wears you out if you want 100% out of them. So give them some help. Bring other people. Give blitz, stunts, cross charge, do all the twists, do everything where it causes an offensive football team more preparation time to play you because you do more different things over there. I used to move my defense around and give them about 10 different looks they have to block. And now, we didn't run them all, but if I showed them on tape, they had to prepare for them. But they said, what if? What if they do this? What if they decide to run this blitz? What if they do? So, half their week, they've got their guys thinking about what if we do this? When you stay in just a basic set most of the time, it's a hell of a lot easier to prepare for.
1: Uh, all right, Coach, thanks for that one. Let's go. Uh, John Patino had kind of a long uh, question he wrote in, but I wanted to, to read it for you. And um, Do you have any idea how long Coach Sark will be given to show that he's the guy? I've been hoping, but last night he's talking about the game. I saw some things that are very disturbing. Sark's very stubborn, which can be good in most cases, but I believe that it's becoming detrimental. I say this in regards to the run game as he wants to po- to play power football and runs the one-back play almost exclusively. Not a bad thought or play, but defenses are playing that play and flying to the ball when they see the back running to the tight end. The inside zone play was there uh, because the backs can wind it back, and when the defense flows too fast, he just won't get away from the power. The other thing that was disturbing was the look on his face during the two-point play, which they had to waste a timeout. It was pained, lost look, and it was... It looked like he was locking up mentally. Unlike most other people, I don't think Coach o was the answer either. The UCLA and Notre Dame games showed to me that they weren't able to make any adjustments. Realistically, they weren't very good with many of the second half adjustments in any games. I don't know where they go. Lastly, Sark is mo- uh, more than likely loyal to Wilcox, but they need to revamp what's been going on on defense. Offensive coordinators are too good in this conference, and they, w- they know exactly where the defense is going to be and do. So some good stuff there from John Bettina. I Want to get your thoughts, Coach?
3: Well, <laughs> what was the
1: first thing? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the stubbornness about Steve Sarkeesian and how they're doing. the uh, oh, how long they the coaching and all this? and that long
3: amount time. Well, first of all, let me do this. I, I don't get into how long coaches coach. That's up to Pat Hayden and his his uh, advisory group or whoever makes the decision on coaches at uh, in any sport at any level. Uh, normally, at a at a school like USC or a Pac-12 school or anything, normally a coach gets four years. I'm saying normally, I think his contract is four or five years, it, because you want to be able to come in and say, you know, I'm going to be here when your son plays here. And when it gets down to three years, they normally get an extension because when you go recruiting. They they want to say I've got a five year extend I got it I got five years on my contract but they don't say in there but I have a buyout for this amount of money so that if I don't get it done I'm out of here. Coaches know today when you're going to pay me three million a year or whatever Sark makes, none of my business. You know what you're getting paid to do and that means win. You heard him say it himself when he left Washington, which is a great program, Washington. They come to USC, felt USC was a better program than Washington. Well, obviously, then, then you know that uh, you're going to have more pressure at USC and you're expected to win more at USC. So how much time do you have? I don't know how much time you have. That's for, uh, that's for Pat Hayden to decide if, he, if, the, if the team is getting better. And the way I evaluate a team is from the first game on, is my team getting better? Is it stronger fundamentally? Is it making less mistakes? Are they utilizing their personnel? Are the players playing with a personality of who we are? Who are we? What are we known for? Are we known for a running team? Are we a a physical football team? At least you know when you get in this fight, it's a heavyweight championship fight, or are they they, uh, ballet dancing? I mean, who are you? and i and i want to see this personality and i think that's what everybody's uh, searching for is who are we what is our personality have we gotten better uh, have we moved forward where we not we're not making the same mistakes and and same excuses and and how well we practice uh, i think that the issues i've talked about the entire year <coughs> excuse me on this podcast Our concerns. I've said every Sunday when or whenever we do this podcast that you got to evaluate yourself first. It all starts with you and it all starts with the university. What does the university want? What does the president want? What does Pat Hayden want? What do you want? Do you want to go to the Rose Bowl every year? If you want to go to the Rose Bowl every year, then you got to make concessions and you got to make sure that. Your head coach has fuel in the tank and in the program. Now, I think they give Coach Sarkeesian everything he needs. Don't get me wrong. But are, are you flying at the right altitude? Uh, are you making progress? And I think that's how you evaluate a, a football program. Uh, people, people can be satisfied even sometimes in defeat. If you play hard and you play good, and somehow you just lost. And it's a tough way to go, but you get it done. So I think that's what you look at in this program, and you decide for yourself the questions I just asked you as far as it starts at the top, is he getting the proper support, the jaw-saw situation, was that treated properly? Uh, All of these different things, as far as what it takes to win at USC. Remember, everybody's trying to win. And is there still that intimidation of an opponent when you come into the Coliseum where you used to come and you used to think, oh, God, this is going to be a dangerous day? Not just because of the football, but who else are we going to lose today because they're going to beat the crap out of us? Is that still there? my feeling the way i feel you answered any way you feel there is no intimidation people don't mind coming to la in fact they look forward to coming to la it was half the players that play in the coliseum now are from la <laughs> so uh that's the way i answer that question um
1: all right thanks for that one john let's see we're gonna do one last one um and again i apologize for not being able to get to all these check out usefootball.com dan's going to have a a column trying to address a lot of these questions coming up there. And feel free, jump on our message boards to USCFootball.com on the Peristyle or our football forum. You don't I mean you can be a member on the Peristyle or just uh sign up for a free account on the football forum and you can post any questions there and getting a lot of discussions with other Trojan fans. Um JV wanted to know, and this comes up a lot, and you know we might have touched on it already, but he said, Well first he said, luckily there was tequila available. Uh, at the at the half, but that's besides the point. I'd like for you to comment, uh, the, or for you to coach to comment on why there never appears to be any halftime adjustments made during games uh, that we lose. Well, I'm not
3: in the locker room. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, know exactly what's being said in the locker room. But if you don't make adjustments, then obviously you're you're not uh, you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to adjust. If you're getting hurt at this, you better do something else. We talked about that. Football is nothing but chess. Football is nothing but if you do this, I do that. If you do that, I do this. Because you can't cover everything if my athletes are good or better than yours. So. I don't know what goes on in the locker room. I don't see anything change. In fact, the worst part of their football the entire season has been the second half. So are there more adjustments uh, having been done at halftime by the opponents of USC? I don't know, but they certainly execute better in the second half and they allow the other team to get into a rhythm where they build up confidence and what, Beat you is when a team starts to believe in themselves that they can beat you. There's no question anymore. They get momentum going again. And USC has allowed teams to get the emotional part of it back, whether it's on the road or at home. They've allowed quarterbacks to get into a rhythm. Travis Wilson, uh, all these guys, uh, Jared Goff. If you know what I'm talking about, they got into a rhythm. Brett Hundley, let's talk about the most recent game. First half, first quarter, first half, he was, first, especially his first quarter, I thought they played good D. It was that first touchdown that UCLA got, Nelson Aguilar fumbled a punt, and yeah, the guy was wide open, but still they had full, terrible field position. But they were make, making things happen. They weren't afraid to go after him. They were playing aggressively. They flew around. They played with a lot different intensity and, and emotion. I said, wow, these guys are... It's going to be a hell of a football game, man. These guys are getting after it. But as the game went along and they started to spread the difference, you could see it. You could just see it all happening. It was like a movie script. It was just all happening. It became a UCLA town. And as like Brent Huntley said, we own L.A. L.A. is our city, whatever the hell he said. but you know what I'm saying? They believe that. These kids believe that, see? And that is carrying them into this game and carrying it through the game because they want to prove that's the point, and that's what they say maybe in the locker room before they come out when more talks to them, when no one's in the locker room, and we're going to say it in here, guys. This is our town. L.A. is our town, and this is what we're going to prove. There's some people that doubt this. My personality is, is hey, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna resurface, uh, resurvey this city. Uh, but how, how can you argue with that? I mean, three years in a row, they've been able to do that. It hadn't been any closer to scores, and where did it all start? After USC beat them fifty to nothing. Yeah, <laughs> that's what all started. They got embarrassed. The program got embarrassed. Guerrero. Didn't like it anymore. Their alumni didn't like it anymore. And uh, they brought in a football coach. And I said, Jim Moore is a football coach. You watch him. Tell me, who would you rather fight? If you had a chance to fight, this is the way I evaluate There's some coaches and some guys that you want to fight, and there's some guys you say, hey,
0: he ain't going to hit me.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, you can tell he's all business, isn't he? And I tell you, I take my hat off. Now, guys, you might get mad at me. I take my hat off to how he's come in what he's done at UCLA, how they're coached, how their jerseys are, all the little things that make them a football team, every little detail. And when I look at a lot of the details on the other side, I mean, you've heard me could be critical, and I'm sorry, but fake fire with towels and this and that and towel wave toweling and towel waving towels and excuses and, and, and all of this, that, that, didn't come, that didn't come my way. Uh, you know, my. Remember the old saying: excuses are for losers. I mean, you know, it's time to it's time to strap it up and and get after people. And I think this final game of the year is going to give that opportunity for USC against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you know, has lost three straight games. Things aren't that bright down in Notre Dame. So let's see which of these two teams can rally. This is the Pride Bowl. This is really actually the Pride Bowl. Which young team was Notre Dame started nine freshmen on defense last week against Louisville? Of these two teams could finish the season, 8-4, and four, because they're both the same record right now, 7-4, and four, and go to a bowl game and possibly end the season 9-4. and four. Who wants it? Do you guys want it, or is it just me that wants it, or the fans that want it? And then direct your team to that direction and do what you're supposed to do as a coach in the team so that you can end the season nine and four, which is somewhat respectable. For USC, maybe not. Because if you go to USC, you're supposed to win them all. That's it, Ryan.
1: Great points, Coach. Thank you so much. And I know it's a long show. And again, apologize for not being able to get to all the questions, but... We, all, we did our best. We, we got to as many as we possibly could, hopefully touched on all the topics that were interesting to you. And thanks again, Coach, for coming on the show.
3: Ryan, thank you, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Take care, and uh, I'll, uh, we'll be back with you next week.
1: All right. Huddle up and buckle up, as Coach likes to say. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we will talk to you next week.